The title of my message this morning is Preparing, Preparation, Making Preparations for Departure. I'm sure most of you are like me, that sometimes when you're getting ready to go away, whether it's a vacation or maybe it's work-related, whatever it is, and you're going to go away for an extended time, maybe it's you're going on a mission trip, it could be anything. I have discovered sometimes the preparations almost want me, make me want to stay home. There are so many things you've got to do that are important before you leave, before you go. You know, if it's work-related, you may, you may have to go back and make sure everything at work is going to be covered and take care of, taken care of while you're gone. You may even have to spend some of that precious time in getting your work done, training somebody to do what you're going to be doing, while you're, what, that they need to do for you while you're going to be gone. Oh, golly, and then if you have children, man, and you're not taking them with you, the preparations can be overwhelming. Making a list for whoever's going to take care of your kids. You know, giving them all the contact information. Making sure everything's just so. So your wife's okay to leave and go with you. There's preparations, and they're important. They're very important. You know, Jesus getting ready to leave the earth in his natural form, before he left, there were preparations that he wanted to make sure were fulfilled and accomplished before he ever left. He wasn't just going to disappear. Can you imagine if on that Easter morning that the women got to the tomb and saw the stone moved away and it was empty. Went back and told the disciples. And Peter and John ran down there. Yeah, it's empty. But that was it. Nothing else. If Jesus had just been raised from the dead and taken right to heaven. What would it have looked like? What would it have felt like? Can you imagine? We know a little bit about what the disciples were going through. They weren't exactly mountains of faith at the moment. They were hiding away in a room. They were afraid. They were confused. There was a little bit of despair. Remember last week we talked about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, downcast, saddened. He couldn't leave it just like that, right? He had to prepare them, and there were many things that he wanted to accomplish. And we're going to look at a few of those things this morning as we look at him preparing to leave the earth. And as we know now, not come back for a while. The first thing he had to do, think about what would be the first thing that he did? Well, he appeared. They had to see him. They had to see him risen from the dead. He didn't just disappear, go to heaven, not to come back. They saw him. He appeared to many people many different times, depending on how you interpret the different times, eight, nine, ten, maybe eleven different appearances to many different people. Not going to go into details on many of them or any of them, really, but I want to just mention, remember the women. And as you look at the different different Gospels, the different stories, you'll see we know Mary Magdalene was there. We know Joanna was there. We know Mary, the mother of James, was there. And we know there are other women. It just says other women were with them. So he appeared to them right away. We know that he appeared to Cleopas and the unnamed disciple on the road to Emmaus that we talked about last week. He appeared to them. And we know then that he appeared to the eleven minus Thomas. Remember when Jesus just all of a sudden was in the midst of them? And can you imagine that moment? Whoa, a ghost or something. Jesus at that particular time asked for some food to eat. 
to show that he was a man. It was no ghost. So he appeared to them there. Then he also appeared to them again another time, and this time Thomas was with him. And this time Thomas, doubting Thomas is where he got the label here, even though I don't believe he was a man of doubt. He just needed to be persuaded. Jesus appeared to them with Thomas present. Then we see he appeared to seven disciples. We get the names of about five of them, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, John, and James, and it says two others. And this is the story we read about when they're on the Sea of Galilee, they decided to go fish. Decided to go fishing. And as they're coming into shore, hadn't caught any fish. Jesus does one another miracle. They see this person on shore, but they don't know who he is. That's the story where Jesus is actually on shore. Tells them to throw the nets out again. They get a whole lot of fish, and he cooks them breakfast. So he's appeared to them there. Then we see in 1 Corinthians, it rattles off a number of them. In chapter 15, it says he appeared to Peter. Then he appeared to a group of over 500 people all at one time. And it tells us in other places that many of them were still alive when the Gospels were being written and the book of Acts were being written. And then he also says he appeared to John, and then he or James, excuse me, and then he appeared to the disciples, the apostles again. That may have been right before the ascension back in Jerusalem. It's kind of a little bit hard to tell exactly when. But point being is he had to appear. He had to be seen. He had to be seen as God in the flesh, as man Jesus. He had to be seen. And with evidence that he was the real deal. But not only was the appearance important, it goes right along with his appearing, was he did something else that I think is really significant for maybe more than one reason. He opened up the Scriptures to them. Without reading too much into it, which I sometimes do, I think it's not only important that he opened their minds to see it because it would affirm that he was the Messiah. But it says he took them all the way from Moses, all the way through the prophets, pointing out all the prophecies about him and how he fulfilled every single prophecy. So that would remove any doubt from that fact that this is truly the Messiah. He may not have been what they expected. He might not have been what they were looking for, but he was the Messiah. And I think, importantly, it was in the Scriptures. I believe it's significant that he took them to the Scriptures to show them, and I believe us, the Scriptures are trustworthy. They are true. We may not always understand them the way God intends us to understand them, but the Scriptures are true. We, we need to dig in and understand them for ourselves. So he appeared, showed himself, and he taught them. And not, not just the pro- prophecies concerning himself. It tells us that he also taught them about things in regarding the kingdom of God. doesn't go into detail what that necessarily was, but it would seem like at least he did a partial review of all the many things that he had been teaching them about the kingdom of God. So it was the teaching and the appearing together, preparing them for his departure. That then leads to where I want us to go in uh, Matthew 28. If you have your Bibles, some of these scriptures will be on the screen. I want to read starting in verse 16. He appeared, he gave evidence of who he was, he showed him from the word of God, confirming who he was, and he's doing all this in a sense to give great credibility because I'm about to give you guys a job. I am going to commission you. I'm going to commission you to carry on my work. And he starts in verse 16, 
But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. If you read in the scriptures and the gospels, he told one of the women, he said, go back and tell them to go to Galilee. I believe they were going back to a mountain that they had been on before. I believe it would have been familiar territory to them. And he told them to go back there and I'm going to come to you. And he says, so they were back there at the mountains. And then it says, Jesus shows up and he says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. Now, depending on your translations, most of the translations say, and some were doubting. They worshiped him, but some were doubting. It's hard to get real clarity on what that some were doubting means. It's easy to understand that they were worshiping. In response to seeing Jesus the Messiah, they bowed and worshiped him. Some were doubting. I personally don't think that necessarily means they were doubting that it was Jesus the Messiah. I believe there was still confusion, not understanding, not a full understanding of what are we doing here? Why are we here? What's going to happen next? Irregardless of what it means, there was something going on in their minds that they weren't totally sure of. And then Jesus speaks to them in verse 18, and he starts giving them a commission. And notice how he starts this process. He says, he comes up to them and he says, all authority. First two words, all authority. All authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven and in earth. All authority has been given to me. He's making an authoritative statement, preparing them for what's going to come next. If someone comes to you and they want you to do something, they have a task for you to do, and they come to you and they have no authority whatsoever to ask you to do anything, you might just look at them and go, yeah, right. (laughs) Do it yourself. Jesus starts out by declaring, knowing full well what he's going to say next, he's going to give them a mission. He's commissioning. So he starts out, all authority. I have been given the Father's authority to me. I am speaking now to you with the authority of God the Father. And it's in this authority that you will be guided, and it will be in this authority that you will be empowered to carry out what's coming next. He says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. And then verse 19, he starts. He says, go. Go therefore. Go why? Go therefore. What's the therefore? Because of the authority that I have to give you this command You need to go. It's not a strong suggestion. He is speaking to disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. It's as if he's saying the same thing to you and me yet today. With the authority that I have, I am giving you this commission. We call it the Great Commission. With this authority, I am telling you to go therefore because of who I am that's giving you this command. This is a really authoritative statement that he's given. So that means we need to do it. The disciples need to do it. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. First thing we need to understand and realize from that small statement is disciples need to be made. It's not like some sort of spontaneous combustion the moment they accept Christ, they're full-fledged disciples. It's at that moment they truly are believers in Jesus Christ, but it's like the door now has been opened to become full-fledged disciples. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples of who? Who are we supposed to go to? What does he say? To all nations. 
the message that they're going to carry, the mission that they're going to carry out is to go to everybody. It's available to all. Jesus, God the Father, has no prejudices whatsoever. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter male or female. It doesn't matter a race. It does not matter what they've done. It doesn't matter. Go to all the nations. All the nations. Your mission, given to you by my authority, is to go to all the nations and make disciples. And as I said, discipleship starts at conversion. But they're not really... Think of your moment of conversion, if you can remember it. And for some of you that haven't experienced it, you don't know what you're missing. But it's available to you. That moment where we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. That moment, the door is opened for us to become disciples of Jesus Christ. To become true followers who are empowered with the authority to go and make other disciples, to carry out the missions that he has given us, to make these disciples. In Luke chapter 24, verse 47, it says this. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Okay, I'm supposed to go and make disciples in all nations. How do I do it? What do I say? Man, we complicate this so much. Our insecurities rise up immediately. You know, the message right here that we see in this verse is really simple. It's not popular, but it's really simple. Luke 24, verse 47 says this, that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There it is. Oof. Declaring repentance. Confronting sin. Confronting sin. Speaking about sin and then forgiveness of sin and how forgiveness is available to all and what it requires of us. Simply surrendering and accepting Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. That's the message. Now, a lot of us don't like to talk to people when we're going to share our faith and we want to avoid talking about sin in their life because we're what? Afraid we're going to offend them? The reality is, For true salvation to take place, for a true conversion to take place, there has to be an acknowledgement of sin in our lives. If we have never acknowledged sin in our lives, what need do we possibly have for a Savior? It doesn't mean we have to be nasty and get in their face and point all their mess-ups and all the things that are going on in their lives. You don't want to do that. They might point the finger right back at you. But we need to lovingly help them to understand that all are sinners. That's what he's saying. It's a message of repentance and forgiveness. And forgiveness is only available through Jesus Christ, through the cross, his death, burial, resurrection. So as we go to make disciples, as I said, the message is pretty simple. It's just not a popular message to carry, especially in these days. And then he says, what do we do after that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing who? The disciples. The disciples that you're making the people that we have shared with and talked about, repentance for sin, the, the, the way to forgiveness of sin, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It should be clear, I hope to all of us, but it should be clear from the Scripture, baptism is for those who have believed. Those who have believed. It's for those who are of an, of an age, whatever that age turns out to be, 
where they had the mental capacity to understand what sin is and how sin is forgiven through Jesus. That's who we baptize. That's why churches like ours, our church, we refer to it as believers' baptism. They believe. But what about the babies? Well, we dedicate our children to the Lord. May 2nd, we will be having a children's dedication. But baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All who believe. All that we are helping to become disciples. And the last part of this verse, verse 20, I should say, says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Teaching them. As disciples, we need to be taught. And as a discipler, we need to teach. But it just doesn't stop with information. It's not just about knowledge here. The best way to teach, one of the best ways to teach is the way Jesus taught. He certainly preached. He certainly taught. He told stories. He used the parables. He taught doctrine, so to speak. But often, often more importantly, was what the disciples learned by observation. Follow me. Why? Watch me. Learn from the way I live my life. See how I live to glorify Jesus. See how I, as a disciple of Christ, live my life. Teaching others just through the way we live. Sadly, that's not being done real well by a lot of us, by a lot of Christians. You know, we can't live and speak one thing because we know what it means when we read the Scripture and then keep this other foot in the world and live like the world and look like the world. That mixed message doesn't work. It doesn't cut it. You know which one they're going to grab? They're going to grab the one that's in the world because the flesh loves the world more than it loves truth. So we need to be careful in our lifestyles. Live lifestyles that glorify God. You know, live in such a way that wherever we go, you know, we're called to be ambassadors for Christ. That wherever we go, they see something. They don't know that it's Jesus in us, but that's what they need to see. They need to see the impact that becoming a disciple has on a person's life. And that will give so much more credibility to the words that we teach from the Word of God if they see it active in our lives. And that's what he's telling his disciples, teaching them to observe all things, teaching them to observe. In most translations, and what the word probably should be is obey. Teaching them to obey all things. Disciples of Christ are to be obedient to the teachings of the Master. It's not like being religious not what it's like. It's not about being legalistic. It's just that we should be just so in love with the one who loves us enough to die on the cross for us that we desire more than anything to please him, bring honor and glory to him. As a disciple, that should be what's ruling our heart and ruling our behaviors. And then he finishes this section in the Gospel of Matthew with a word of encouragement. Or the words of encouragement, I will be with you always. And it's interestingly... After he says that, it's not very long before he disappears. So they may not have understood what that meant yet. I will be with you always. But he encouraged them that that's the truth. I will be with you always. 
So he's appeared to them. He's opened the scriptures to their minds to see that he's truly the Messiah. He has now told them that I have authority given by the Father himself to me in all heaven and all earth. And in that authority, this is the job I'm giving you to go do. It's a command. This is what disciples do. But the great news is about God when he gives us a command, when he tells us to do something, he equips us to do it. Makes it a lot easier. Those of us that have tried to do what God wants us to do in the flesh have discovered it doesn't work real well. It wears us out. It doesn't bear fruit. In Mark, or excuse me, in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, it says these words, And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from an eye. He's going to give us the power to fulfill the mission. So it's not just the authority, it's also the power. And we know, and we're going to see, and we turn to the book of Acts here, that power comes from the Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read a few verses here. I think I'll read down to about verse 8 or 9 first. Luke wrote the book of Acts, and he says, in my former book, the book of Luke, he says, in the form, my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Just what he began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Even in the midst of all this new revelation, there's still a little bit of confusion. And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates. The Father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Again, I try to imagine what it would be like being one of those apostles. And Jesus is giving all this information to you. And I don't really comprehend the whole idea yet of even the Holy Spirit. What's that going to look like when the Holy Spirit comes? What's it going to look like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? I mean, they're Jews. They understood baptism in water, but in the Holy Spirit. And then there's going to be this power that's going to come upon us. And then in the midst of that, they say, hey, is this when you're going to finally turn control over to us, the Jewish people? He doesn't say now or he doesn't deny that it could happen. He just goes on and says, it's not the time for you to know. You will not know. But I think where we need to start when we look at that, trying to get in the mindset of these disciples a little bit is, he says, I began to do and teach. Jesus' work continues to the present day. When he was speaking to the disciples, that mission that he was given him was basically saying, you're going to continue the job that I've already started. Great God, you're going to give us the job that got your son killed. 
What a great deal. He's saying, that's what you're going to do. And the reality is, Jesus' work is still continuing today. We are those that are now called to be continuing his work today. We are the ones called to be making disciples and doing that. And it's really interesting to me, you may have not even caught it as I read it, but he said, it said this in verse 2, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. That's a little bit startling to me when I really read that and meditate on that reality that here he is, Jesus, the risen Savior, the Son of God, God in the flesh, who has been given all authority in heaven and in earth, ministering by way of the Holy Spirit. I believe very clearly if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to minister, we need it. We need to be ministering by the power, the leading, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Reality is nothing of consequence, eternal consequence is accomplished unless we're being led by the Holy Spirit. And when we look at the ministry that we're being called to, man, we need more than we've got in and of ourselves, no matter how good you are, no matter how many gifts you've got, no matter your talents, your intellect. We need the Holy Spirit to accomplish the task he's called us to. And he commanded them to wait. Go to Jerusalem, wait. They're just outside of town. It appears they're probably up on the Mount of Olives when this is taking place. Go back to town, go back to Jerusalem, and wait. I want to go back to that question that they had, because I think it's interesting. When they said, is now the time? You're going to redeem Israel. You're going to restore Israel. Is now the time. They've still got this idea of some sort of conquering Messiah in their head somewhere. And Jesus pretty much ignores it. But they're ultimately going to get an answer from another source. As we go on in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, Jesus has proved his resurrection. He's opened up the Scriptures. He's gave them the task and the commission, and he's equipped them. And then he says in verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before them, before their very eyes. And a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you, taken into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So it wasn't the time. These two men answered the question, no, it's not the time. The way Jesus was taken into heaven, he will come back. That will truly be the time. He left before their very eyes. I kind of go back to where I started. You know, for this 40-day time period where Jesus was on the earth after his uh, resurrection, he kind of was popping in and out as we looked at the different times he made appearances. He'd show up, and then he was gone. Show up again, and then he was gone again. Show up again, and then he was gone. You notice we don't see any indication whatsoever in Scripture he ever told him where he was going. He just disappeared. He vanished, went away. But he always came back. 
every time he came back. I believe it's really important that he was taken into heaven in front of their very eyes. They knew this time was different. They knew this time when he left, they didn't have to wonder, when's he going to show up again? Is he going to show up again? They didn't have to wonder. These two men told him, he's coming back. And when he does come back, he's going to come back in the same way that he's leaving. So they saw it with their own eyes to remove all those doubt, all that doubt and confusion. So Jesus' work while he was on earth in the form of Jesus was finished, was completed, his role in it, so to speak. But he has commissioned them and us to continue to carry on the work. So what about him? What's he doing? Did he retire? <laughs> Hardly, right? Mark 16. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. And the disciples then went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his words by signs that accompanied it. And in a scripture I haven't got on the screen in 1 Timothy 2.5, one you may be familiar with, it says, For there is one God, there's not many gods, we all know that, right? There's only one God, and it says, There is only one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. So we know clearly he is seated at the hand of the Father, returned to the glory in heaven that he once had, and he is our mediator, he is our intercessor, he is interceding for us continually before the Father. He's working all the time. What about us? Well, we had that commission. Any more clarity what it looks like? There's a scripture in John chapter 14. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing, and he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Are you and I doing greater things than he did? There's a lot of ways people interpret that verse and what it really means. But I do know, he says, the things that he did. And we're told in the other parts of the Great Commission between Mark and Matthew, we're given this idea that, you know, we're going to go and we're going to speak repentance and forgiveness of sins, but you know what? There's going to be signs and wonders that accompany us proclaiming this. The Holy Spirit power of the Holy Spirit in us is going to allow us the great privilege of laying hands on the sick and seeing them be healed. To cast out demons in his name. And he promises that he's going to protect us as we're going out and doing these things. He even says you'll lay hands on the dead and they're going to come back to life. I don't know about you, but I could use a little more power. But is there anybody who doesn't want that power? Anybody who would not want to see those accompanying signs and wonders that would give even greater credibility to the words that we teach? The power that's in us that helps us to live a life that glorifies Christ. Well, there's a couple things that are critical if that's what you want. First of all, you've got to be saved. You have to have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're here today or you're watching online and you've never made that commitment to Christ, when I say commitment to Him, means surrendering my life to Him and just receiving and accepting the gift, acknowledging that we're sinners and accepting the gift that Jesus was a sacrifice who died in my place. 
And it's the evidence that it was more than sufficient. The Father raised him from the dead, and he's ascended to heaven. When we do that, at that moment, the door is opened to all the rest of what God has for us as his disciples. And then there seems to be something about that baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that's another one of those topics that people love to get upset about. Churches look at it so differently. We at Victory believe there is a secondary experience at the moment of salvation, the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. There is a power in you already working and transforming us into the image of Christ. We believe it's clear that there is this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's that baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus himself told the disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem until you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when they did, everything changed. They walked in a new authority, the authority of God. They walked in a power, the power of the Holy Spirit. And they turned the world upside down. How many of you would agree that the world we're living in today needs to be turned upside down? It's already been turned upside down once. We need to turn it back. We need to walk as believers in the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. So in the next week or two, we're going to be looking more at that. What does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be able to go out and do the things that Jesus did? Many of us have had tastes of that. Some of us aren't even sure it still exists. The Bible makes it clear. It is this Holy Spirit. There is a power that He wants all of us to have, to walk in, to live in, and to minister from. The worship team comes forward. Let's pray. and just encourage you, if you have never accepted Christ, now's the time. We'll get into the baptism of the Holy Spirit a little bit more in the next week or two. But let me tell you this much. All you need to do is ask to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the Scriptures are clear. God will baptize us. So, Lord, we pray right now and give you thanks, Father, for the authority that you have given to Jesus and in His name you have passed on to us as your church that we are called to go and make disciples into all nations, to all people. All nations, starting in our Jerusalem, starting where you have us planted, in our neighborhoods, amongst our families, where we work. Father, I pray that we would have that new boldness, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we would truly minister out of love, the love of the Father that lives in each one of us. Lord, I pray for each one of us to know Jesus. pray that those that are here or at home that have never accepted Christ, I pray, God, you would give the grace right now for them to simply confess that they're sinners, acknowledge Jesus is the Son of God, and he died in our place to pay the price. And he was raised from the dead. And we surrender our lives to you, Father. We need to surrender them fresh and new every day. We just pray that you would fill us, baptize us in your Holy Spirit. Ask all this in Jesus' name.